So I'm going to hop right on in. We're at the life vision of the bride. This is verse 4. I'll read it for us. Draw me after you. This is the bride talking. Let's run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be joyful. We will praise your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. So this verse is really what we would call the life vision of the bride. And as members of the bride, it's really our life vision as well as the church. It's her spiritual goals. It's what she wants to accomplish in her relationship with Christ. And when you combine verse 4 with what we covered two weeks ago in verses 2 and 3, this is the main theme of the entire song that will actually unfold throughout the journey. As the bride, in verse 2, we cry out for the kisses of his word, declaring that the love of Jesus is more pleasant than anything else we can experience in this world. She declares the goodness of Jesus' character displayed through the perfumes of his heart and the fragrance of his name in verse 3. She now, in verse 4, declares her life vision as one who longs to be drawn away in intimacy with Jesus and to receive grace to run with him and other believers in ministry. So when we look at this theme, verses 2 through 4, the, the bride is speaking from three perspectives. Or you, you might call her the maiden at this point. Either word is fine, the Shulamite maiden or the bride. First, she sings to the father. In verse 2, let him, Jesus, your son, kiss me with the kisses of your word. Let, let that br- draw me into a greater intimacy with you. She sings to Jesus directly. Your love is sweeter than wine because of your character. The fragrance of your name will be poured forth and young believers will love you. And that's in verse 3, which we covered last week. And then this week, she sings with a chorus of believers. And you might hear of them being called the daughters of Jerusalem. You might hear of them being brides-to-be or the chorus, depends on which translation of the Bible you're reading. But they are singing together, we will rejoice in you and be joyful. They're committing in faith. We will praise your love more than wine or more than earthly pleasures. When you see that word wine, it's referring to the pleasures of the world. And that can be both good pleasures, the blessings of God, and it can also be temptations, earthly pleasures, sin, uh, those, those things from our old life and our old man can also be determined as wine, things that can intoxicate us. So let her see there. The rest of the Song of Songs is the journey of the bride as she receives the answers to her prayers from these three verses. That's why we call it the theme and the life vision. So when you, I mean, we could take months and just talk about these three verses and the New Testament truths that are hidden and locked inside those verses. So let's, let's jump right on in. Uh, Roman numeral 2, verse 4, the twofold vision. There's two parts of this vision. She says, draw me after you and let's run together. This vision statement is a summary of the goals of every believer. One, to be drawn in intimacy after Jesus. And two, to run with him and others in ministry. The words after you can be placed either with draw me or with let us run together. So it, you, in different translations, you'll hear after you going either with the being drawn away in intimacy or with the running with Jesus. So both are true and both works in both contexts. It's important to note that Jesus is the initiator. He's both the initiator of the being drawn in intimacy, and he's also the one who sets the pace in running. And sometimes that's challenging for people. 
<laughs> he's he's setting the pace. We're not setting the pace. You know, sometimes we, I think a lot of people think that you're running ahead of Jesus. I actually think it's probably more the other way. I think a lot of times we struggle to keep up with him, but he's setting the pace and he will give us the grace to keep up with him as we run the race. We follow after him into the chamber experiences and we follow after him into the harvest field of ministry. Letter B, the order of these statements is important for us to acknowledge because our spiritual journey will constantly hold tension between drawing and running. Many believers get saved and immediately they want to go do something. They want to go run. They want to go work. I want to do something for God. I want to accomplish something. Onward Christian soldiers. So they run hard into the harvest field, but they neglect being drawn away in intimacy with the Lord. They, they neglect the secret place. They neglect the studying of scripture and really allowing the kisses of God's word or the kisses of the Torah to touch their heart. And the result is what we call burnout, which is a pretty popular term in uh, recent history. And we'll actually see this happen the next time we come back to the Song of Songs in verses five through seven. We get our first taste of burnout in the maiden story. On page two, letter I, it's important to note that burnout is actually not the result of running. A lot of times people think, oh, you're burnt out because you're doing too much. That's actually not why. It's the result of being drawn away, of not being drawn away in intimacy. It's the neglecting of intimacy that leads to burnout. It's the heart posture of our service or our running, or our doing something that causes us to burn out. So the solution is not to do less. The solution is to be drawn after Jesus in the secret place. The solution to burnout, 100% of the time, is to connect your heart with God's heart. Yeah. Number two, the maiden temporarily refuses to run in, with Jesus in Song chapter 2, if you go to verse 8. And she turns him away. She wants only to experience his presence without a commitment to ministry partnership. In the same way, we have the flip side. Many who experience burnout will overreact and become determined to be drawn away in intimacy, and they have no vision to run in ministry. So we have these two opposite ends of the spectrum, where you have people that they get saved, and they're zealous, and they're excited, and they want to do something for God, but they neglect to read scripture. They neglect to set time away for one-on-one for -on -one time with Jesus. And then you have the other side of people who've gotten burned out, or they've gotten hurt, and they just decide, you know what, I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to run at all. I'm not going to minister. I'm, I'm giving up on church for a while. I'm not going to lead a Bible study. I'm just going to spend time with the Lord in the chamber experiences, in the secret place. And this life vision, we have to see, is actually both are equally important. Let her see. These are, there are seasons in our lives where God may emphasize one goal over the other, and there's no shame in taking time to prop up one of those two things. You've been hurt or you've been burned and you really need to focus on one area. However, in every season, we must have a twofold vision to be drawn after Jesus in intimacy and to run after Jesus in ministry. To live with the twofold vision of drawing and running is the most excellent way to live as a follower of Christ. We can see this in, in Paul's teachings to the Corinthian church. Um, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives this dissertation on the spiritual gifts and the manifestations of the Spirit. And he talks about all these different ways that you can be used by God and how one person might prophesy and another person might have tongues and another person might interpret. And at the very end, he says this in verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. He's not saying, hey, don't give up on the gifts. 
He's just saying, earnestly desire them, yet I will show you a still more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, he, it's the love chapter, which we've all heard if we've ever been to a wedding. And we're very familiar with it. But the whole point of that chapter was for Paul to say that any kind of ministry is without value if it is not centered around the agape love of Christ. He's saying you can, you can do all these things, but it's just a clanging symbol if you don't have love. And we know that we cultivate love by being drawn after Jesus in intimacy. We love because he first loved us. We love out of an overflow of his love. In fact, the love of God is, is often described as a threefold love. God loves us, and then we love him, and that love overflows to others. And that's always the progression. We receive his love for us, which causes us to love him, which we'll actually see in this verse, and then that overflows as love for one another. One of my favorite apostolic prayers talks about how love increases and abounds toward others. And that actually roots us and grounds us in holiness and blamelessness. So it's interesting to me that he finished chapter 12 by saying, desire the gifts, but there's a better way. It's the way of love. And then he starts chapter 14 and he says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So he puts it on both ends. He's saying, yes, you need spiritual gifts, but without love, they're useless. But it's great that you're pursuing love, but you need spiritual gifts. It's the running and the drawing that's happening at the same time. In summary, number one there, Paul encourages us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts in order to run in ministry, but first to grow in love, the more excellent way. Then while pursuing love, we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Both are emphasized as both are important. Letter E, the order of living in the kingdom is to first be drawn in intimacy and then to run in ministry from the overflow of love that results from a close relationship with Jesus. As a result of this, our lives will fulfill the two great commandments in Matthew 22. Let's look at that, starting in verse 37. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Jesus is telling us that if you love the Lord with everything you have, it will cause you to love your neighbor as yourself if you choose that. And that fulfills everything. If we do those two things, everything else kind of gets taken care of as we're led by Jesus. The second thing that this type of kingdom lifestyle fulfills is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus will have us as a bridal partner who will run with him to touch the nations. Passion for Jesus will always result in compassion for others. That's your destiny. Your destiny is to run with Jesus and touch the nations. As the church, that's our destiny, to run with Jesus, to run after him, after being drawn in intimacy with him, we're, we're co-laborers. He didn't, he didn't say, I want a little sister. He said, I want an equal, my sister, my bride. And we'll see that throughout the song. He calls us, his sister, his bride. His sister refers to his equal, his co-heir. We're seated with Christ. It doesn't say we're seated under Christ. This is really intense. We're supposed to be co-laborers who run with him to touch the nations. 
page three. This is the second half of the, of the verse of that first part. The king has brought me into his chambers. The chamber is referring here to a bridal chamber. It's symbolic of our secret life in God, the alone times in the secret place with Jesus that no one else knows about, as long as you don't tell anyone. (laughs) All of us have a secret history with the Lord where he draws us to himself, primarily through scripture and through his still small voice. These chamber encounters mold and transform our inner man and prepare us to love and obey Jesus with all of our heart. Many of us have stories of when the Lord encountered us and prepared our hearts for a challenging season. And we can all go through our lives and think of, I had this incredible encounter with God, and then my life was really difficult right after that. He always prepares us with these chamber experiences. When we talk about the chamber experiences, I'm really talking about those profound moments. I I don't label my daily secret place necessarily as a chamber experience, although it's happening in the inner sanctum. It's happening in that secret garden of my heart. It's happening in that inner place of Jesus's heart where he's revealing himself to me. But I'm talking about those moments where God meets you and he carries you away. It's really an act of his will where he touches and molds us and transforms us and prepares us for the upcoming seasons. Let her be the maiden begins her life vision by asking Jesus to draw her after him. She knows that she does not possess the strength in herself to leave the comfort zone. And so she asks the Lord to draw her after him out of sin and self and into his embrace. He responds by carrying her away into his chambers. And he'll do this again in song two and carry her away into the banqueting house or the house of wine. See, we don't have the strength in ourselves to run after Jesus until he draws us. We see that in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. What I also thought was interesting is the Hebrew word for chamber in this verse in Psalm 1-4 is literally translated a chamber within a chamber. So it's symbolic of the Holy of Holies in the temple. There was the holy place and then the most holy place. And that's what this is referring to. That chamber is that most holy place where we meet God. Jesus is the good shepherd of our souls, carries us over his shoulder into the most holy place to reveal himself to us. We can know that if we ask Jesus to draw us after him, he will rejoice greatly and carry us into the hidden chamber of his heart to reveal his secrets to us, to share things with us about him. And it, it breaks my heart when I think about all the times where I've missed the opportunity to be carried away into that most holy place. Even, even in my own life, I think my tendency is to run, and that's, that's my primary goal. I'm always, let me run with Jesus, let me run after him, and I sometimes neglect the being drawn after him. But think about the secrets that he wants to share with us in that secret place. Think about the, the secrets about himself that he wants to reveal. Um, Zach is a really good friend of mine, and one thing that everybody knows about Zach is that he doesn't really share things unless you ask him. He's one of those guys that you could spend the whole day, especially with me because I'm a talker, you could spend the whole day, talk his ear off, share my entire life vision, purposes, goals, plans, the promises of God with him, and at the end of the day, not really get any more insight from him. And sometimes I think about that with the Lord. How many times am I talking to Jesus 
and I'm not getting anything from him. See, if I'm his friend, he has secrets that he wants to share with me. He doesn't just want me to share everything with him. He's also waiting for me to ask him, Lord, draw me away after you. Draw me into these chamber encounters where I can see you more clearly, where I can learn hidden pieces of your character, where I can be encountered with the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of you. So number four, we will rejoice in you and be glad or be joyful. We will praise your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Letter A, the bride declares in faith that she will rejoice in Jesus and remember his love through every season of life. She declares this to and with the daughters of Jerusalem or the young believers or the brides-to-be. It is our firm resolution to be glad throughout our lives and to rejoice in the Lord daily regardless of our circumstances. See, this faith confession in times of despair and struggle is an expression of spiritual warfare. We declare that God is good and the devil is a liar when we face testing and tribulation. And this confession actually foreshadows a similar song about the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. It says, let's rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. So I kind of see these as like the same song at the beginning and at the end. You know, it's the song that we sing right from the beginning. I'm going to rejoice and be glad. And now I've got to walk through this journey of maturity. And then at the end of the story where the bride has prepared herself, I'm going to rejoice and be glad. And it's, it's like the bookends of our, our journey with the Lord. Last page here, letter C. The Hebrew word for praise when it says we will praise your love. In Song 1-4 is the Hebrew word zakar which means to bring to remembrance, to boast of, to mention, to extol, to remind, to be mindful of. So it's, a, it's a, almost a singing out, I will remember your love. It's in the midst of trial. It's in the midst of tribulation. Even in the midst of struggle and persecution, we choose to praise his love. We choose to remind ourselves of his goodness, the goodness of his love. We praise the love of Christ by mentioning it often in a boastful way, looking back to all the ways he has loved us. By praising his love more than wine or earthly pleasures, we're walking in righteousness, choosing to persevere for the sake of love rather than running to the wines of worldly comforts. I mean, this is really the the story of being a Christian. My life is really tough right now, so do I go watch TV and disengage? Or do I run into his presence and remember his love and use that as the, the pleasures that are greater than the wines of this world. It's the choice that we face every day. Yeah. Remembering his love equips us for perseverance in three main ways. One, we refuse condemnation and instead remember and rejoice in his mercies toward us. Number two, we refuse the wine of temptation and instead remember the great joy we experience in his love for us. Number three, we refuse to fold in difficult circumstances and instead remember and trust in his perfect leadership over our lives. Later in the song, we will declare that Jesus' head is gold and it's talking about his perfect leadership. So this is a theme that will resurface where we will declare your leadership is perfect. Your leadership is good. You're perfect in all of your ways. All of those things help us to walk through seasons of difficulty. Letter E, Jesus led his disciples 
through the act of remembering his love to help them through seasons of temptation. When we struggle to see his goodness or to hear his voice, we can remember and remind ourselves of his love. This restores faith to our hearts and equips us with grace to persevere. Here's a perfect example in Mark 8, 18. They're in the boat and they forgot to bring bread. Jesus starts talking to them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And they think he's talking about the bread. They're, they're caught up in fear. They're caught up in being unprepared. They're, they're trying to serve and they're not in intimacy with him. They're not tracking with him. And he says, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And he leads them in remembering. He sees that they're not seeing. He's noticing that they're not hearing what he's saying. So his solution for them is to help them remember what he's done. He says, when I broke the five loaves, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? And they respond, we picked up 12. When I broke the seven, how many large baskets did you pick up? And they said, well, we picked up seven. He's talking about the miracles that he did to feed these thousands of people. First, it was the 5,000, then it was the 4,000. And he's leading them in remembering what he has done. Another example that's not in the notes, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus. John the Baptist is in prison and he sends them to Jesus to ask him if he's really the Messiah. And his response to them is blind men see, crippled stand to their feet, the dead are raised, the deaf hear, the poor receive good news. He's reminding them of what he has done and what he is doing, which equips them with faith. It restores their faith in who he is which is really what our faith should be centered around. Who is Jesus in this scenario? Who is Jesus in my life? Where is his leadership? Letter F, another example. Jesus instructed his followers to remember his sacrifice of love on the cross through the act of communion whenever they should gather. This is the communion message. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is being given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we remember his love more than wine, we praise his love more than wine. We choose to rejoice and be glad. It equips us for every season of life. This is part of our life vision. God, we want to be drawn after you. We want to run with you. And no matter what happens, we're going to rejoice and be glad. No matter what happens, we're going to remember your love. We're going to take communion and we're going to remember the sacrifice of love that you made. We're going to remember the things that you did when I was going through that season and you restored me when I fell in sin and you brought me out of the miry clay and you set my feet on a rock. These are all ways that we can remember. In difficult seasons, rather than pursuing the wines of earthly pleasures, we're called to remember the love of Christ and to choose joy. We choose by faith and it equips us to walk in righteousness. And I have four scriptures there that give us an example of the rather And really, as I was looking through this, there's probably 15 different scriptures in the New Testament that give you an example of don't do this, but rather do this. It's a a perfect picture of choosing love over something that's tempting us or some other option that might be easier. So I only put my four favorites here, but it's a great study for you to do on your own time. All of these rather than phrases, and I'm kind of getting off track, this uh, bunny trail, but in the Old Testament... God didn't really do this. He didn't really give options for people. He just said, don't. 
<laughs> he gave the Ten Commandments. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But in the New Testament, you'll find that almost every place that Paul says not to do something, he, he gives you a rather do this. And that's, that's our model as Christians is every time we're tempted to drink the wine of ple- earthly pleasures, we can choose the better way. We can choose the but rather do this. Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Would have been really easy to do that. I mean, richest man on the planet. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. He was remembering Matthew 10, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Choose the fear of the Lord. It's a greater fear than the fear of man. Choosing to worship him by not wanting to do anything that would come in between you and and your relationship with him. 1 Timothy 4, stay away from worthless stories. Rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 2 Timothy 3, In the last days, difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. So there's an example of the flip side, where people will choose the easy path. They will choose worldly pleasures over the pleasures of loving God and knowing Him. We'll find throughout the song that the, the reward for loving God is love. The reward of love is to equip you to love greater, to be better at love. It's the reward. Later on in the song, it'll say that the, the Lord would despise, this guy would despise anything if it was offered to him as a reward for love because the reward of love is love. So that's, that's our, our uh, teaching tonight. I just want to read the scripture one more time just to put it all back together. Verse four, draw me after you and let's run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will rejoice in you and be joyful. We will praise your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Amen.